Franchise, the podcast that talks franchises of all genres, backgrounds, types, shapes, sizes. I'm your host, Tom Stadler, here with my valiant, virtuous, the caped crusader himself, Fred Dakin. I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> oh, that's that's not even one that we're talking about either. No, it's not, but uh, that was unexpected. I'm Fred Man. Fred. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if I try to do an Alfred, we're just going to go down way too deep in a rabbit hole. I don't even know which Alfred I would do. I would want to do my cocaine. That's the best one to do. He's the quintessential Alfred, even though he's not in any of the movies that we're going to be talking <laughs> about today. It's, but we'll be talking about all of it. Uh, obviously, if you guys have not figured it out yet, this week's topic, one we're very excited to, to be bringing to the podcast, as it was actually the original pitch in the podcast, it was supposed to be episode one, Batman. Bum, bum, the quadrilogy. The quadrilogy. Yeah. So that's a really good question I want to get into is whether these are all sequels or if they are broken up between the Burtons and the Schumachers. We'll get into that. Uh, I will just say that on the box of the DVD that <laughs> I own, Quadrilogy. Oh. Yeah. But we have a great guest to break all this down with. We sure do. Welcome back to the podcast. Our special guest, Joe Francisco. It's the bat. No. <laughs> I was here the whole time waiting to talk, guys. <laughs> it is great to be back, Tom and Fred. I love talking mm-hmm. Batman, so I am happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, so to be specific for today, we are talking about Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. That's the Tim Burton movies and Joel Schumacher movies. Uh, And for anybody who's not familiar with Batman, he is a vigilante who patrols Gotham City, uh, whose alias is Bruce Wayne, a wealthy playboy, philanthropist, who throws his money around, acts like he's not Batman, even though he actually is Batman. Uh, Batman is somebody who witnesses the murder of his parents when he is a small child and basically wants to fight for justice for the rest of his life. If you need more on Batman, please look up anything at your local library or on your Wikipedia page. (laughs) It's got to be called like a Batpedia. There is probably a Batpedia out there. I was trying to remember what that one was. Because, you know, there's like Wikipedia and you got to have the Batpedia. During day, suave playboy, just playing it up, spending money all over town, you know, looking real slick, driving cool cars with nice ladies. But at night, he's beating up thugs who are up to no goods, dressed like clowns. You sound like somebody who would be doing like the Dick Tracy serials on the radio. I felt like I was channeling Stanley in the beginning of the Spider-Man games. Yeah. Remember the first one? Welcome, crime fighters. <laughs> Hello, true believers. But instead, this would be like the Gotham game where it's like just like the hobo of the street. Just like, yeah, you think you know about Batman. You don't know nothing. Yeah, it's like all the, like, the guys you hear in the background in the Arkham games. Like, Arkham City, where's that bat? It's my favorite part about Batman is thug talk, like in background, <laughs> like he says he dresses like a bat. <laughs> any of that, I'm happy if it's in there. He's probably a myth. <laughs> Before we get deep into Batman today, one of the things that we did want to tie a loop on or tie a knot on the end. What am I trying to say? You want to put a bow on it. Put a bow, put a bow on, on it. it. Thank you. 
Uh, Put an X-Wing on it? Oh. oh. Pow. Man, Fred's still channeling that Jedi within him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, we're going back to our last week's episode about Star Wars video games. And we got quite a bit of fan feedback with our uh, new email inbox. If you're uh, trying to reach out to us, we are at State of the Franchise Podcast at gmail.com. Fred, we had a couple of emails that I think you and I both wanted to address on air here. Yes, this is the thing. If you write us, we will more than likely read it. Yes. So this is our new, for this week, question segment that we might be calling the franchise reaches out to the franchise. Ooh. That was right off the dome. I could tell. Man, I was thinking something with a fan, but maybe they are the franchise. The franchise. I just like that. Yeah, we call them the franchise. It's no big deal. No big deal. You guys are just there to support us, and we appreciate you guys. It's like all help. I'm sorry. I was just thinking, would we call our fans fannies? (laughs) Fannies? Our Frannies? I don't know. I feel like we should almost leave it in their hands. If you have a great (laughs) nickname that's besides Fannies or the franchise, send us an email at stateofthefranchisepodcast at gmail.com. But we will be answering the two questions we got here today, Fred. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and take the first one? Our first one comes from Jasmine. All right. Hey, Fred and Tom, just finished listening to the Star Wars video game podcast. I noticed that Fred mentioned wanting to see more psychological horror suspense type stuff in Star Wars video games and referenced the scene in Empire Strikes Back where Luke fights a shadow version of himself on Dagobah. We actually get a hint of that in KOTOR 2. There's a cave on the Sith homeworld of Korriban. Is that right? Korriban? Korriban? Korriban. There we go. That's why we have Joe here. Where the player character faces a vision of Darth Revan. Ravon? Revan? Darth Revan. <laughs> That's so Revan. It's the Jedi that he sees. That's so dark Revan. The dark side version of the protagonist from the first KOTOR alongside a dark vision version of themselves. If I recall, you only fight Revon and not your shadow self. Someone <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're saying Ray-Ban or something like Ray-Ban. that. <laughs> Ray-Ban. Ray-Ban. <laughs> okay. Trust me, I like Star Wars. <laughs> if you recall, you only fight Revan and not your shadow self, though the original plan was for a full two-on-one battle. Just another unfortunate loss from the rush job that was KOTOR's 2 production. That was something that we talked about, that it was a rushed production on the second one, so it didn't quite live up to the hype of the first. Mm -hmm. Um, An incomplete game, actually, yeah. Yeah. So uh, she continues to say, I'm hopeful this means we'll see some of that psych horror come back with the KOTOR remake. I agree with you. We need more of it. Your loyal friend of the pod, Jasmine. Mm. Wow. I like it. So that's interesting because now I'm even more interested in KOTOR. And Joe, you are somebody who has played at least the first one, right? Yeah, I've played both. KOTOR 1 was my suggestion as the best game. KOTOR 2 is awesome. Like Jasmine is saying, I really hope they remake both of them because I think KOTOR 2 does a great job, you know, playing with, you know, kind of some of the flaws and the thinking of the Jedi and the Sith and the Force in general. And there's very interesting takes on how to maybe change the Force um, and how that kind of impacts the universe and like how like it kind of 
impacts the predestiny of, of everybody who has the force. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really hope they make the second one too after remaking the first one. It'd be great. I mean, I, I think we kind of talked about too, they might do like a Final Fantasy VII remake thing where they really just try to tell one big story. I don't know how much they connect. Obviously, I would need to play both at some point. But the idea of trying to get into something that is more in that horror aspect, I think, definitely intrigues me. Because when we talked about that one, like, Bounty Hunter, like, or the deep, like, sector thing that's in Coruscant, like, I, I wanted that game more as I was talking through it. Yeah, so thanks, Jasmine, for reaching out to the show. Our second email this week comes from Brian. Hi, guys. Just finished the Star Wars video game episode and really enjoyed it. A few notes I nerdily feel compelled to share. I believe the pterodactyls in Super Star Wars were supposed to be Minox, the weird bat things that chew on power cables that were living inside the giant space worm in Empire Strikes Back. Based on Fred's suggestion, a great GTA-based game would be GTA Cloud City starring Lando (laughs) as he slowly goes from scoundrel to administrator. Set in the space of 1980s, of course. If we're talking about different genres that could be Star Wars-ized, I would humbly suggest the Tatooine Trail, where a small part of moisture farmers, or small party of moisture farmers, cross the Dune Sea. Done in the OG Oregon <laughs> Trail style. <laughs> Watch out for sand people and space coal era. Okay, that's it. Enjoying the pod. Have a great day. Nice. I like it. I would take any Oregon trails because I just feel that's due for like like a $20 PlayStation Store game that you can get and it's just redone a exactly. little bit. And if it was Star Wars themed, shoot. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. I can't imagine doing a GTA game in the style of Cloud City where you are Lando going around, but that would be lot of fun I feel like. <laughs> yeah you'd got to bring in like Corellia in right because isn't yeah. that like or Corellia wherever uh, Han Solo's from because I feel like that's the seediest place we've seen uh, in some of the movies that's a good point I didn't even think about that place but that could be that would be another fun like yeah like you go like to Liberty Island or whatever because right isn't it in the fifth one that you go into multiple different spots yeah the fifth GTA you can go to multiple spots I like the idea of just like the vastness of like uh, outer worlds, but GTA. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot of fun. No, well, thanks for writing into us, Brian. Uh, so, getting back to Batman, then another gigantic franchise, so big that we did have to narrow it down today. So, I guess my question for you guys, maybe we'll start with you, Joe, being our guest this week. What was your first viewing experience, or maybe even just first experience with Batman? So my first experience with Batman, I think really Batman Forever, I think, was the first movie specifically to kind of, you know, hit me hard just because I think I was in the age of uh, when I think of like marketing and commercializing and like a franchise that has just a ton of toys. I really think of these four Batman movies. Yeah. You were going to McDonald's like you're getting a Riddler cup. Um, every commercial is advertising, you know, a new bat suit or something and Batman forever really, I was at an age where, you know, I just wanted all that stuff. And I was also a huge Jim Carrey fan. So I'm like, Oh snap. Like I love, you know, Ace Ventura, um, all his classic movies, uh, fire Marshal bill. Uh, (laughs) so that is kind of what also drew me in, um, as well as the animated series. Um, I got heavy into that. 
Uh, and I thought, you know, that had a lot more like mature themes and stuff. And then, um, yeah, Batman Forever was really, really the first Batman movie I remember seeing in theaters. Okay, so you did see it in theaters. Yeah, then. I did. I did. Was that the first movie you saw in theaters? It was not the first movie I saw. What in was theaters. the movie, first movie you saw in theaters? <laughs> Oof, man. I, I want to know both of yours. Uh, it was probably Beauty and the Beast, I think. Nice. But I would have been very young. I probably would have been five years old. So, but that's off the top of my head. <laughs> so I might be lying. Mine was Lion King. Oh. Ooh, I think mine was also Lion King for Nice. You young and twinsies. Mm-hmm. Which is funny. Lion King is like I always said was like my favorite movie because it was my first movie. Uh-huh. But now I'm like, Beauty and Beast, much better movie. <laughs> Just gotta say. It was either Beauty and the Beast or Hook. I can't remember. Ooh, which one. good start though. Yeah, I know. Got like a Spielberg or the Oscar nominated Disney movie. That's interesting though. Fred, what was your what was your first Batman movie that you experienced? You ready for this? I just realized it sitting here while we were setting up the first Batman movie I'm going to say that I saw in theaters. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Whoa. Now we're doing two different things. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I thought you said you saw Forever in theaters. I did. I did. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say the first one I saw in theaters and then I'll go back just because it's crazy. Dark Knight. What? What? Yes. It's crazy. And I saw all the other movies growing up. I remember... The thing about Batman movies, when I was a young kid, you'd look at the VHSs, and at least for the back two, or no, the back three, you look at them, and it has all the names of actors who are all actors that you know as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, like Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton, yeah. and just like matching the names to the pictures of the faces, and that's how I would pick which Batman movie I wanted to watch. Oh, wow. Just being like, do I want to watch the one with... You know, Dane DeVito, or do I want to watch the one with Jim Carrey (laughs) and Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah. A lost art form is the movie case, like DVDs and VHS cases. Because, like, tell me that you didn't make movie decisions ever based on what you were seeing on there. Can I tell you guys a thing that I always recommend people? Sure. What's that? If you ever want to relive that blockbuster feeling, go to your local media exchange, get Mm. in that vibe. And just go buy a movie for a dollar or something. Okay. You go buy a DVD, a Blu-ray. It costs the same as a rental at a at a Blockbuster back in the day. And you can peruse the shelves. Different things will be there. And it's pretty close. It's like Diet Blockbuster. Wow. That sounds awesome. Where is there a media exchange in Franklin. Okay. I go to the oh. Franklin one. We live out in Bayview. I recommend hopping out that way. Big selection. Wow. All right. Definitely have to take you up on that. But, man, Dark Knight, that's a mind blower. I know. But what was the first Batman movie you saw then? That, I would say, was probably uh, Batman Returns, I'm going to guess. Because I know my dad dressed up as, well, he dressed up as Jack Nicholson Joker. My mom dressed up as Catwoman. Kind of weird when I talk about that. (laughs) She was, was, you know. uh, Wait, when you went to see it in the theater, they dressed up? No, no, I'm saying that I just remember us watching it because they were doing that. Or I remember seeing the picture, Mm. too, of them, which, like, they put, like, a lot of money into it. They looked (laughs) like movie. Like, it was the first cosplay I ever saw was my parents. (laughs) Were they just doing it for Halloween or what? Yeah, it was just a Halloween party. So that's the one I remember being, like, on and, like being freaked out by because the penguin is just so scary man that's crazy okay but tom batman returns is 
probably up there, but I think it's the first Batman movie. I just remember having it on VHS, and I remember watching it from a very young age. It was like the Star Wars experience I was talking about last week, where like it happened so early in my life that I don't remember it, because I was born in 87. Batman came out in 89. My dad loves Batman, or he loves the classic Batman, like the Adam West 60s series. And so I just remember kind of like one day coming into the idea that, oh, like, yeah, this is Batman. And I've just I've seen it already <laughs> and everything just kind of went from there. So I don't really remember the first experience, but I, we did see Batman Forever in theaters, but I don't remember that. I remember Batman and Robin because I remember going to Taco Bell to get the toys after. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, just way, way too much sugar and like a soda. <laughs> <laughs> Batman defined like merchandise cups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, just think about all the, t- I mean, you were talking about the toys, right? Like, yeah. Joey said, the action figures and stuff, like, certainly had those. Like, McDonald's, like, merchandise, the, mm-hmm. the collectible cups. Like, people had all that stuff. They had the movies, like, you had the quadrilogy case, Fred. Like, it, there is so much Batman merchandise. Mm-hmm. So much so, that's what caused Tim Burton to drop after Batman Returns, if you guys didn't know that. I didn't. I assumed it was something like that. He was so upset that McDonald's wanted to, like, merchandise the movie so heavily, the second movie specifically. They were like, this is a, a cash cow. And he's like, okay. He's like, I, I have an idea for a third, but I don't even want to do it because I want to mess with mm-hmm. the merchandising aspect of this. It's too much. Well, that's like crazy to me because then weren't they mad with the merchandise they made for the movie because it was too scary? Yeah. That was yeah. the whole thing, which like that shit was cool looking. I remember seeing like I've looked it up recently, like those cups, I almost just want to buy off eBay. Right. They're so cool. Looking. They are really cool looking. I mean, all of Batman Returns is a very creepy movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's get right into it then. Talk a little bit about the history and let's get into the first one, really. Batman started way back in 1939, created by artist Bob Kane and writer Bill Finger, who does not get enough credit for being a creator of Batman. Well, he does on this podcast. He sure does. It is a joint, just like a joint production, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Batman's high, you guys. (laughs) Should I prepare the sativa, sir? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is one dank podcast <laughs> Alfred <laughs> Grab my pipe <laughs> You can, you know Batman's got the best shit to smoke out of though he does. Like, yeah. Alfred made this for me <laughs> Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> it's a trip because I mean Batman over the years starts in Detective Comics eventually gets his own title in the 40s where we get our first two serial films of Batman it starts out as Batman and Batman and Robin not a joke that is the name of the serials from the 40s (laughs) so they were predicting where we're gonna go we got our 1960s TV show with Adam West and Burt Ward which a lot of people still have love for myself included my that's Almost my intro, I feel like, into Batman was just watching the TV show with my dad on, like, Saturday mornings. And Can I throw in another life recommendation? Sure. It if is. you guys uh, got, like, a smart TV or Roku, hop on your 
your uh, was it Ferber or your Tubies oh. or your you know Plutos, your Fubo, <laughs> your Fubo, yeah. Fubo. And if you're not paying for TV currently, just hop on one of those. They really do it well on there, and they'll just have a channel that has like old shows. <laughs> And they'll have like old Batman or like you know Gunsmoke. I don't know if that was a TV show or <laughs> yes, just a radio. Okay. Yeah. I know it was a radio play, it's but both. Uh, uh, Green Hornet. So another life thing. If you ever just want to like feel that retro TV vibe, get on your Furbos and your Tubies, yeah, and your Plutos. There is all, so much. It's like a free content on my TV. I get like all these Pluto channels. And I'm like, what is this? Like, I'm just the Chive channel is just a running of reels <laughs> of like YouTube videos. <laughs> I find nothing more comforting than being at like a hotel and watching bad TV. So, like, that's what I'll do at night is just put on Pluto and like go to the Law and Order channel and just it's the best vibe. Yeah, <laughs> but it is it's a good recommendation because the '60s TV show is a different vibe than anything else that came, and I think that's really the perfect setup for what we got in 1989. Because up until that point, the most popular iteration of Batman outside of these comics that he was in and outside of anything else you've been reading, the graphic novels, was this very, like, cartoony, kind of campy Batman series. Now, are you guys, were you watchers of this as you were growing up or did you kind of just experience it through, like, pop culture? (laughs) I discovered it late night college watching. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like that was my entrance into watching like 60s Batman. Yeah, I kind of absorbed it through osmosis of pop culture. I definitely didn't watch them before like the movies, but like watching it kind of informed me, especially with the Schumacher films of, you know, kind of like that campiness and silliness um, that that kind of bat that era Batman captures. Yeah. Yeah. I would hazard that we probably got introduced to Adam West Batman maybe through Scooby Doo. Oh. Right, because when I think when Scooby Doo would pop, no, when Batman would pop up on Scooby Doo, it'd be like the Adam West style. Yes, right. Yeah, not like Super Friends, although that's not too far removed from the Adam West <laughs> style. Right. Yeah, that was, that's might be more I'm thinking, which is you're right, isn't that much different? Yeah, Casey Kasem though playing Robin in that, <laughs> which is he's doing double time as Shaggy. Yeah. Uh, it's it really though. It defines exactly how the series went, because you just said it, Fred. We start with Batman 89, which is the complete antithesis of everything that Batman 66, the movie mm. and the, the series around it, stood for and like was all about. All the way to Schumacher, who's like, well, I kind of like those shows, uh, those episodes, so I'm going to try and bring us back there. <laughs> I love it. Until Nolan's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's go back to what Burton was doing. <laughs> and, well, and what Burton was doing is also a lot closer, probably reflected in, you know better, the comics, right? Like, because you have, like, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns in the 80s? Yeah. I'm just guessing that, because that's, like, one of the few Batman comics or graphic novels I've read. And I feel like that really sets the tone for what people wanted out of a Batman movie. And they kind of got it. Yeah. And to do a quick summary for anybody who hasn't seen these first four, Batman is him kind of like his first year or second year, maybe because nobody really knows who he is, uh, comes across the Joker played by Jack Nicholson. And this is Michael Keaton as Batman at this time. So this is Tim Burton's Batman. I mean, they just kind of clashed throughout the movie, right? There's not a whole lot of story outside of that other than he realizes Joker killed his parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Which, I, that's a tough, tough one for me. I feel like that changes the mythos a little bit if it's Joker. Right? Yeah, I never really... So, 
the first Batman, like I mentioned, I'd seen Batman Forever first. Mm-hmm. And then through the animated series, I kind of, you know, this is my Batman. Going back to Batman 1989, it is such a weird choice to have, like, Batman is going to be off in dudes. And then Joker's origin story, it's like the cynical nature of of Joker creating Batman mm-hmm. and the Batman creating Joker, which kind of, yeah, I don't know. There's That choice didn't really sit well with me when I had first seen the movie. Yeah. I mean, they've changed everything about that story so much since that movie that it feels sort of like, okay, this is one take on it, but this doesn't feel like the definitive take anymore. And because Dark Knight kind of did it in a way that was probably more interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. Well, Dark Knight definitely like gets into the uh, like social commentary of the whole thing more about what Batman does. But I think having Jack Nicholson's Joker be the one who shoots the parents is fine with me because of what you said. There are so many iterations. I've seen those people get off so many times that I'm kind of like, I'm not precious about like how it happens, but I get that it does tell a different story. Yeah. You know, if he's the one who does it, it makes it more personal, which is kind of almost the antithesis of what the Joker is. Yeah. In a sense. It is. And I think there is something to be said for that. There is something that adds more unique style to that Batman. He is a little more vicious. Like that mm-hmm. type of stuff got like Zack Snyder in trouble. He's like, your Batman's too brutal. He's killing people. It's like Michael Keaton's kicking dudes down the clock tower <laughs> and not giving a shit. Yeah. Like he's like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the next one. <laughs> and again, I, and this is something I have with like looking back in the moment of these movies, I felt differently. I was definitely a little more emotional about it, but I'm kind of happy that like, I don't love those Snyder movies, but I can put on those Batman scenes like, oh, cool. I can watch a badass Batman, Yeah, but that doesn't have to be my Batman. Correct. Or I can watch this one, which is a little more Tony, you know, like it's got like these great vibes, great visuals, but the action, he's kind of a little more wooden. Mm -hmm. Or I can watch like a Nolan, which is like watching Heat. Like I can, I love having all my flavors. Yeah. And like, that's why I do, like, I appreciate the Ben Affleck Batman a lot more, not the movies, but just the (laughs) stuff that he did. Yeah. (laughs) I do appreciate what he was trying to bring to the role, but it's like now having seen the Robert Pattinson one, it's like, Mm -hmm. I liked his take better. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to throw in for Batman one, uh, just like the quick thing of like how they were trying to figure out a take for Batman for so long that it was just crazy that Burton was like able to sneak in. I just think it's crazy that Burton was the guy whose last movie was Pee Wee's Great Adventure. (laughs) I just think that's crazy that we're like, we don't know what to do. So I guess Burton, that's the guy with like a visual style. Oh, and I think one thing about bringing Burton in is he had such a cool visual design to Gotham and Batman in general. It was like this kind of like art deco, like the streets Mm -hmm. are kind of trashy. And I think that's something that even with some of the more modern Batmans, even in the games, I think a lot of a lot of things draw inspiration from that. Like when I saw it, I was like, whoa, like this is like like a darker and like way more stylish Gotham city and Batman, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. It's a benefit of having someone who is like a very specific style. And I think Sam Raimi, you know, multiverse madness just came out. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't think he was the biggest Spider-Man fan, but it worked because he has such a thing going and he had a specific take he wanted to do. He brought all that with it to the Spider-Man thing, which everyone knows and did its own thing. Yeah. I think that's what Burton does. You can tell he's not the biggest Batman fan, but he's like, I'm going to put all my stuff around this Batman story. And I feel like Raimi does that too with like his like MGM grand styling that he puts around the Spider-Man and like, his quick action and horror shots that he does. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. And he does bring that sense of style. And I think that's exactly Burton's pitch. You guys were talking about it before, too. How did Burton get this helm fresh off Pee Wee Herman, which I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Never it's, seen. What? What? Wow. Yeah. Fred. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I know Should you I are, watch? but what am I? That's a cl- that's a good move. <laughs> I've used to, I used to use that move, but I definitely should watch it. I hear there's a scary part with Big Margaret or something. Large Marge. Large, Large Marge. Marge. Yeah. Yeah. Big so Margaret's. I'll put that on the name. list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew where I was. Big Margaret. <laughs> I mean, there is a long history of how we got to the '89 film. I'm going to try and truncate it a little bit because they had originally talked back in like 1980 about rebooting Batman after the 66 film. So to segue a little bit from that, we had the Batman 60 series. It culminated in this movie in 1966, which picked up the four most popular villains, right? It was Joker, Catwoman, Riddler, Penguin, characters we've never seen again in any movies. <laughs> we now have, what, at least three takes a piece on each of them now? For sure. Yeah. And so that was where it started there. In 1980, they're like, we want to bring this back because it was fresh off Superman becoming a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Richard Donner do his take on that. Everybody really enjoyed that. Movie with big actors. Yes. Yeah. Doing comic book, which is big, I think, for you know, stuff coming up. Well, right. And it really kind of turned people away from, oh, this doesn't have to be just this campy thing with these TV actors anymore, even though they were doing Hollywood actors in these, the Batman show, but mm-hmm. they were doing it in the same way you have guests on like comedy bang bang, right? They're like there to just have a good time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we get through uh, another iteration, you know, back in 1983, the script was titled The Batman at that point. It was very focused on Batman and Robin's origins. Uh, it was supposed to have Joker and Rupert Thorne as villains and that there was going to be a character named Silver St. Cloud who's going to be the love interest. So that got uh, written by Tom Mankiewicz. Um, Mankiewicz or Mankiewicz? Mankiewicz. I wonder you. if he's like related to like the Mankiewicz, like Mank. Because, <laughs> you know, his son is like the Ben Mankiewicz is a movie reviewer. Like, it's like a dynasty with those Mankiewiczes. He was the son of Joseph Mankiewicz and nephew of Herman Mankiewicz. <gasps> mm, maybe different Mankiewicz. So Tom Mankiewicz, his credits include the James Bond films and his contributions to Superman the movie. So that's why he got the first stab at this. That ultimately didn't take off so he had originally wanted some unknown actors for batman he wanted like peter o'toole is the penguin in a different version of it which it's a take super interesting that we missed out on that now are these like unknown actors that are known now 
or they don't get into that because I think a lot of that's been lost to time. Just they just said it's it's names that you wouldn't recognize. Um, yeah, because I was that was the first thing I was wondering. I was like, what would an eighty eighty three Batman? Who who would you cast then? I mean, at that point, maybe looking at like William Hurt. Maybe like oh the big hurt would be a great <laughs> fucking Bruce Wayne because yeah. he's got the V he's got like the animated series yeah. big V right big chested oh, Thunderbolt man. Ross R I P uh, that is good I'm not even gonna think anymore that was perfect <laughs> yeah. so, I had Harrison Ford <laughs> that was it. I mean, <laughs> but I mean but he probably would have he would have been maybe just achievable at that point right probably off of Indiana Jones he would have turned it down but uh. So they had, you know, a number of actors and some directors attached that, unfortunately, some of them passed away because <laughs> they wanted to be for Gordon and Alfred. But ultimately, then they got to a point in 1983-84 where Ivan Reitman and Joe Dante were being talked about as directors of this. Reitman wanted to cast Bill Murray as Batman, what? Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, or Michael J. Fox as Robin. <laughs> Which I remember Eddie Murphy's name being thrown around for one of the Nolan sequels, too. Yes. Eddie Murphy, I feel like, has been kind of in. And we'll get back to Batman 89 later as another what if. Because uh, there was talks about a Robin in that originally, but Ooh. didn't come to fruition. You guys, I don't think you guys will guess who was supposed to be Robin. But okay, I, I'm hoping it's a different one than the one. I think in the Robin that I'm thinking of that lost, I'm not going to say who was the one who lost, I think, for like forever in Batman and Robin. But maybe it is. Maybe we'll, we'll be see. surprised. We'll hey. be surprised. Dun, dun, dun. So cliffhanger. These, these guys are all attached to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Static. It's all right. Uh, it's like cliffhanging like a bat. No, I, guess. <laughs> I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Yeah, I like And all these people were attached to Mankiewicz's script. And ultimately, nobody took the project and it sat dormant for a couple more years until 1986 when Tim Burton came in fresh off Pee Wee. Uh, He really wanted to look at a few different uh, actors. They really wanted an A-list actor, but he really wanted Keaton. And (laughs) people were like, what? He's a comedic actor. Why would you give Keaton? But Michael Keaton was brought in. And then they wanted to get somebody big for Joker. And they were like, we want Jack Nicholson. Well, Nicholson, famously, I think, maybe not famously, turned that down. And they used Robin Williams as bait. So they took the role to him. We're like, do you want to do this? And he's like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) Robin Williams always wanted to play the Joker. Yeah. And was even considered for the Nolan Yep. Which is, that's like one of the great lost things that I wish. I would have loved to have seen the Nolan Robin Williams wow. one. Not, I would have liked to have seen the other one, but that's the one I would pick if I could pick the two. Well, and imagine, uh, did you guys play the Telltale game with the Riddler? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay, so there's like a sequel where it's like there was an older Riddler uh, came back to Gotham and like Batman encountered him for the first time and he faces an older Riddler. And I was like, that would have been a really interesting take too to have Robin Williams be <laughs> that character I in like the Nolan series. For sure. You know, somebody who kind of like is like, okay, somebody worthy opponent or something like that, right? And like kind of brings him out of retirement. Mm-hmm. So ultimately though, Robin Williams got the, <laughs> the rug pulled out from under him. They told Jack Nicholson about it. And he was, it the, was it the rug from Aladdin? 
Uh, <laughs> Fred, the, the pun episode was. <laughs> <last week. laughs> uh, Nicholson accepted the role under the condition that dictated he would get a high salary, a portion of the box office profits, and his terms on the shooting schedule. So he couldn't work during Lakers games is essentially how it worked. Didn't, didn't he try to get a chunk of the toys, too? Does not Doesn't say, say, but that probably is true. I thought he wanted a little bit of the merch, and I think he got a good taste of that because there was a lot of good Joker merch. Yeah. I was going to throw out who uh, Burton wanted for Joker. Uh, he wanted Tim Curry, but yes. Tim Curry said that he had done too many things like that. And then his second choice, who I feel is always everyone's like their fourth choice for a creep, Brad Dourif. Yeah. Which, you know, is a guy I always talk about who needs more love. But still, I don't know if he would be right for this. I don't think he could have supported this big of a movie. But I was going to throw out, I'd like to see like a Chris Christopher Lloyd in like that Ooh. Who Framed Roger Rabbit vibe as like a Joker. I feel like we lost out on a lot of good Christopher Lloyd roles over the year. Even the Dennis the Menace like burglar. That dude is creepy. I've never yeah. seen it, but I keep hearing like he's really scary in Dennis <laughs> the Menace. And I almost want to watch it just for that. Yeah. So it it is, though. It's exactly what you'd think it'd be. It's like it's the Joker. Fun fact about Tim Curry, then, in the animated series, then he was given a second shot to be the Joker. He recorded the lines, and they said, too scary for kids. We can't do this. We're going to get Mark Hamill. Because <laughs> I wonder if he was doing this like a Pennywise straight up, just scary. Yes. <laughs> Probably. So ultimately, then, we get to the characters that we know and love, or the cast we know and love. Kim Basinger is added, and we get Batman one. So what are you guys' overall thoughts on Batman 89? I feel like watching it, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't a lot of Batman, I feel like. I feel like it's like mm-hmm. heavily Joker-centric, which, I mean, if you got Jack Nicholson and, you know, he's got this huge deal, he's got top billing, that makes sense. But I was kind of surprised by really being so Joker-centric. I mean, Joker is a great character, a great villain. Mm-hmm. But I think... With this movie and the other ones in this quadrilogy, I think some of Batman's growth kind of gets lost in that. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It is super Joker heavy. <laughs> like, they were like, no, Jack Nicholson's the star. Of this thing. <laughs> and he might have been right. Is that a bad take? I think that there was a lot of stuff that they had yet to work out, like suit stuff, um, even just like how to film action. I think that's the biggest problem with the first one is whenever it gets to the action and stuff like that, it is kind of like those are the boring parts for me. It, to me, it's like the whole like moody vibe stuff and the Joker stuff are like the best parts. I'm not going to say specifics because it's a different section. Mm-hmm. But like when I tell you my favorite parts of these movies, they're shots. They're not moments that are of things happening yeah well and i think when you even look at it too and i think i sent you guys this message earlier today no moment defines that movie and i think in comparison to to the rest of the series then like the art museum scene and it's mm-hmm. my my absolute favorite i oh, don't yeah. dare play a clip because i don't want the prince estate to come for us but <laughs> <laughs> it's i mean and we'll get into the music of this we got a lot to talk about here but the there is something about that scene that I love that he's naming his henchmen throughout that thing. They all have names. They all have personalities. They're all kind of like expressing themselves. And it's like, like you talk about it's a vibe, Fred. Like there is a 
mega vibe going out throughout this. And it is Jack Nicholson just putting on like his Harrison Ford in Star Wars 7. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. That is definitely a great comparison because he's letting loose and having a good time. And he's even said he liked playing like he enjoyed doing this. He you asked for a lot of money, but yeah. he enjoyed doing it. And yeah, I there's nothing better than a henchman with a quirk. Like in an action movie, like oh, this is this guy doesn't have an eye, or like yeah. <laughs> that's like the most laziest one that you can think of. But just like that guy's got a hook hand or something. What's like, the deal with that? Like this guy carries the boombox. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> whatever I need a Prince song to play, he just hits the button and well, let's go. We right. scout him from Do the Right Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Radio Raheem was in the Joker gang. <laughs> oh, I'd that love it. Style. <laughs> he, his shirts would match more of like the Schumacher vibe. I feel. <laughs> yeah. So you're of a high opinion of Batman 89, Fred. I like him. Um, I like both these movies a lot. That one in Returns, you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I like all four a lot okay. for different reasons. But for the reasons I'd say, just like this is a movie I put on at night or when I'm just chilling and it's like, I'm not going to like lock in for this. It's just going to be like, I got the lights out. Mm-hmm. It looks cool. I lit some candles, you know, y'all been to my house. I get mm-hmm. the candles lit. Yeah. <laughs> it gets cozy in there. It does. It does. There is something about this movie. I think because of what it was trying to do at the time, there's a totally different appreciation for what the movie is to where it is now when you've had what, eight, nine iterations of Batman or sequels, different spinoffs since then to be like, this one still has its own sense of style. Like it's not like any of the other movies other than Batman Returns, but for obvious Mm -hmm. reasons where that's a direct sequel to this. It just has the benefit of the studio didn't know what to do. So they're not telling the director, or the filmmakers what to do. You know, it doesn't have like an MCU, like just Mara Feige, you know, type saying this has to happen or we have all our action mm-hmm. previsd. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, Here's like the style guide. Here's the Bible. Right. Should look, mm-hmm. which I think really lends to the distinct mm-hmm. style that was able to be created in this movie. Right. And it's interesting, too. Because there is a style that's being borrowed from. I know we were, we were talking about graphic novels before we got started, too. I mean, this one drew a lot of heavy influence. And I'm sure you, if you guys read it, you won't be surprised. The Killing Joke. Because mm-hmm. it's one of the few times in any iteration of Batman that we even had now that we've seen Joker pre-being the Joker, right? Like, they went and were like, we want to tell the story of how the Joker got started. And, like, that's movie one of, like, the the serious dark-toned Batmans. Like, that's a that's a stage setter yeah. that has had ripple effects all the way to, like, Joaquin Phoenix, right? Like, mm-hmm. Definitely. And just, like, the idea of, like, the villain origin, I feel like has, this is, like, the kind of touchstone that is repeated in so many comic book movies like Spider-Man 1. Yeah. I think particularly kind of take from this page. I mean, think about Superman 78, right? We don't see how Lex Luthor got started. He's already in full, Mm -hmm. like, Mark Zuckerberg mode, which... (laughs) (laughs) Which, luckily, Batman movies are coming around to. We won't dwell on it, but it's kind of nice when you just have... The knowledge of a character, it's established, and we don't have to worry about any of this. Yeah. And yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll jump ahead, though, too. Like, even Young Justice, they have pinned in on how Lex Luthor is very, like, <laughs> kind of like, I don't know, Trumpish and stuff. Yeah. Like, he's like <laughs> calling like fake news and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> I should watch this Young Justice. Yeah. I know, Joe, yeah. you're a big fan of it. Oh, yeah. So. Big, 
big fan of like Young Justice and especially Batman. Like I feel like his depiction in that series is so cool. But getting yeah, getting back to Batman, one thing I did think was cool is like yeah, it's like Batman is kind of established already, mm-hmm. and they kind of fake you at the beginning of like maybe they are telling an origin story. You have like this family that's kind of lost on. It's like oh wait, is this like Thomas and Martha Wayne like about to get killed and they don't. Um, and they kind of, I thought that was just a really cool, super bold to play on the expectation that people are going to know the origin story for this to work. I mean, it works by itself, but like, I think that's a very good thing. I think (sighs) Matt Reeves, he does that in the new movie when there's the little kid in the beginning, Yep, Mm -hmm. he does like a very similar thing. And I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Matt Reeves version and, I mean, we'll do a whole dedication to the Batman at some point in the future, now knowing there's going to be a sequel and TV show spinoffs, which I'm very excited for. But mm-hmm. that movie doesn't exist without the Burton films at right. all. Down to the music, down to the styles. like, mm-hmm. and, and I think he did a lot of things very well there, but that's another podcast. <laughs> for sure. But, yeah, I just wanted to talk about, like, people, like, I think I'm just surprised that they have a Joker origin in this movie because I think they feel like they need to tell the story, but also they are doing stuff like that where they are playing with expectations of people who know the story. Yeah. And I think the rest of the cast does a good job, but man, there's this movie just doesn't feel the same without Joker. And I think we see a little glimpse of what that movie could have looked like with Batman returns. But even then you got some powerhouse performances mm-hmm. in that too. No room for Jack Nicholson in that movie. No, way. <laughs> <laughs> if you tried to keep him alive and squeeze him into that, like mm-hmm. he'd either steal the show or he'd be woefully underused. Right. So, yeah, but I think you look at Michael Keaton too, who we talked about at the time. A lot of people didn't take seriously. Where does that sound familiar? Right. A lot of people said the same thing about Heath Ledger in Dark Knight. And Keaton's Batman among the tops? Where you guys have him? Uh, he, I will say when I was younger, I did not like Michael Keaton because it was like very much like I felt like I was like a little shitty critic when I was little. I was mm-hmm. like, he's like Mr. Mom and Beetlejuice. I don't take him seriously. You know who's a real Batman? George Clooney. Like <laughs> Literally, Dr. Ross. Yeah, like that, like he's a man, you know, he dresses nice. That's Batman. But like now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's the best Batman because he's got such a cool take, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of like the more minimalist kind of approach that he takes where like I really like him Mm -hmm. as Bruce Wayne because like Bruce Wayne is like a little eccentric, like he's a little quirky, which is what you would get if you're just like this rich dude that doesn't live a normal life. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I love the scene where like Alfred is just cleaning up after him because he's just like leaving his show all over the place. It's like, who would ever do this? (laughs) And it was like this really encapsulating his kind of take of him being like slightly off like slightly eccentric but mm-hmm. he doesn't have like that imposing figure no like batman but yeah. i thought his bruce wayne was great is it commentary on his casting that during that sequence that you're talking about right there they're like you have you know kim basinger come up to him and be like do you know where bruce wayne is and it's like you can see in his eyes he's like has that instant recognition of like well i'm bruce wayne but it's like oh yeah, I don't know. He might be around here somewhere, <laughs> you know. And it's just such a funny thing that he's kind of like around, but nobody really knows he's Bruce Wayne, which gives enough commentary on the fact that like 
a lot of Gotham's elite who are there don't really know who he is. Like they, nobody really comes up and talks to him. He's just kind of walking around by himself. Like, mm-hmm. and it's such an interesting thought there. Kind of like you said, the minimalist per approach of like, he's sort of a shut in at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, they know the name Bruce Wayne, but they, they, they can't pick people can't pick him out when they see him. Right. Mm-hmm. Until, yeah, he walks in and they're talking shit about him. <laughs> he's right behind him. <laughs> Yeah, but definitely I feel like he sells, like, just kind of how Batman's, like, pretty much an insane person who never got over his parents dying. Yeah. And, like, I like that's how Michael Keaton took the character and, like, that's what he went with. Right. And, man, it's just, it's definitely so different, but still not such a departure from, like, what we see from Kilmer or see from Clooney or even see in like all the way Christian Bale, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I think Bale, he really takes it to a different level, but I don't know. There's something mm-hmm. that you still get that through line of like, he's not the outgoing, you know, name recognition guy that everybody knows, but yeah, he's, he's playing off of the, him being an American psycho. Like that's his Bruce Wayne character is Patrick Bateman, yeah, which is yeah. great. I love that, you know, as a take. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there is. It's like there's always a commentary on who these guys are. And going back to the Clooney thing, like, right? Like, and everybody's like, oh, look how handsome he is. What a looker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bruce Wayne. Yeah, man. I'm going to say it now. We're going to get to it, but they did Clooney dirty. Just going to say it. I think they did. I agree with that. Uh, but other, other things about Batman, and maybe one other thing I definitely want to talk about, too, lest we get lost in the the weeds with it, because this will be a perfect segue into two, is the score. Yes. Everyone, like, talks about, you know, Prince. Everyone talks about the Batman Forever soundtrack. But the thing that I listen to the most are the Elfman scores Mm. of these, especially the second one. Yeah. Man. But the theme on the first one that carries over Mm. to the second... And the animated series, and the, which and is which, so cool. Which is also scored by Elfman, I found out today. theme for a guy that four or probably even less than four years ago was just the dude who is in the band that made the weird science theme (laughs) (laughs) but do you guys know that danny elfman you know he wrote the music for nightmare before christmas do you guys know that he's jack singing like he's the vocal performance i did not and i don't think he gets enough credit for that because i think his singing performance they should just let him do the whole thing but his singing performance in that is amazing yeah what was the point of getting Chris Sarandon at that point? If you were just going to have most of the songs be Danny Elfman anyway. And that's makes, and it makes Oingo Boingo 10% better to listen to. It's already great to listen to. Yeah. But when you're listening to it and it sounds like Jack Skellington, all of a sudden you're like, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) it has a whole new meaning to dead man's party. (laughs) Great track. It is a great track. It's a track that slaps, but, (laughs) but I know you were saying, a lot of people love Prince, and 
I think he deserved it though. Oh, for sure. It's good stuff. The again, the Art Museum song, the song when the parade is going on, mm. bat dance. You know, originally it was supposed to be like a two two hander album for the um, Batman movie, and it was gonna be Michael Jackson was gonna do the Batman songs, and Prince was gonna do the Joker songs. What? What? I've never heard that. I've never heard that before either. Mm-hmm. Wow. But yeah, it didn't didn't end up being a thing, which I just want that CD. It doesn't have to be in the movie. I just want like a two disc album. <laughs> One's called The Batman and it's Michael Jackson songs. I mean, you know, maybe I want that. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like speaker box in the love below, right? Yes. <laughs> You're getting two very different flavors of one kind of like solo track. Or that would have been amazing. But guys, I mean, again, we cannot end an episode without listening to at least a snippet from Bad Dance. So here, here we go. song slaps yeah and joe you're a you're a big prince fan oh i'm a huge prince fan what i didn't know that yeah my my mom is a huge prince fan and i always thought like since like batman 1989 like that's not really my introduction into batman so being like a prince fan first and then being like oh snap like he actually did a whole album for the movie which i thought was really cool and like just you know being purple you know, mm. Prince and the Joker. It's like what an obvious connection that is. And it's just cool that he was able to make music for it, too. Yeah. So, Joe, you really liked it when I made that 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 Prince cake for that one party you guys threw. I made that purple cake. Heck, yeah. That's great. <laughs> now I feel even better about that. Yeah, I dude. made a great purple cake for a party. It was a big hit. It was delicious. It was very good. Fred, I don't know. We've talked about this enough on the podcast, but Fred is a... Very talented cook, baker. We've got a food episode probably again at some point. We should do like an elevated food episode of some sort instead of fast food. (laughs) We'll figure out something off mic. But yeah, I would love to do like something upscale. or Maybe we just go out to eat. Maybe people can send us more money through the uh, (laughs) um, buy us a coffee. How about buy us a five course meal and we'll tell you all about it. (laughs) That's buymeacoffee.com slash S-O-T-F. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. That was uh, that was the one of my favorite things. I think every time I come back to this movie, but especially like the first time when it was like years later, and I hadn't seen it probably in years before I watched it, probably a couple of years ago, and I'm like, oh man, there's a lot of prints in this, but it marries so well to that Elfman soundtrack. And Elfman, I don't think he gets enough credit as a composer, especially at that time pretty much leading all the way up to 2002 when he did the Spider-Man soundtrack. But he was at the peak of his powers, and I would even argue at that point he was making as good, if not better, than like John Williams. Oh, definitely. I think he does great character scores. I think I've talked about it in another episode. Just like the best thing to listen to to get the vibe of Danny Elfman is 
like the Beetlejuice. I think it's just called Beetlejuice if you go the score. Yeah. And when you just close your eyes and listen to that track, you're going to picture Beetlejuice because it's like, <laughs> you know, just like it sounds like garbage coming at you at a fast rate. <laughs> but it's interesting to even go to Beetlejuice from there because I think Beetlejuice, as much as a weird, like kind of dark comedy and kind of like mildly spooky, not really. The Batman Returns score, and we can kind of move on over to Batman Returns from here and talk about the highlights. That score is kind of spooky, mm-hmm. especially with some of the Penguin stuff with like the little like childhood like yeah. tones. That's, that's my favorite like track of the Burtons is like the opening track of Two, which has like that opening Penguin stuff, and it's very it's much more operatic to match just like. The German architecture, the beautiful map paintings that like yeah. it all kind of goes together. That's it's just beautiful. It is a very gothic to the max type movie. Like if you know, you had like German, you know, pointillism, expressionism in the first Batman movie with the architecture. There's something like things start to curl a little bit, like you see in the mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas in Batman Returns. You just feel that like. Like, almost kind of like the walls are coming in on you, right? Like, it, it's just a very, it's kind of an unsettling experience that I, I've started to love revisiting. Because when I was a kid, and I'm talking, so Batman Returns came out in 1992. So I was five years old, and I remember getting, like, merchandise for this, but my parents didn't like that. They loved the first one, didn't like that. They're like, it's too scary. It's too weird. It's just, <laughs> you shouldn't watch that movie, Tom. And I'd be like, but it's Batman. but batman but batman but batman Uh, the other person who also had some withdrawals about wanting to get into batman returns was tim burton himself (gasps) burton so because there were mixed emotions involved in the previous production starting with some of the merchandising that came in he did not want to do the sequel and really didn't love the first treatment that he got and it was going to involve the Penguin and Catwoman looking for hidden treasure involving the same writer from the first one. And originally they wanted to bring Robin again in. <laughs> Did not happen because he, he just was not into that. And he really wanted to kind of normalize the dialogue for the Penguin because it wasn't quite the mutant that we got at the end of the day. Because then in Batman Returns, we do get the continuation, which is like a year or two later, maybe. We're not really... It doesn't really establish like how long after one it is, but basically we get, you know, Bruce Wayne back, you know, Batman's now established. We get the resurgence of a very interesting take on the Penguin, which I do want to talk a lot about because I especially love now with the Batman, the different take that Colin Farrell brings Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Almost did it again. It's called him Colin Firth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's the first time we get two villains in the movie, Catwoman, who's... Catwoman villain, anti-hero? Where do you guys sit? Mm, I feel like she's almost kind of a villain in this movie. Yeah. Or a majority of it. Oh, yeah, in this movie, for sure. Yeah, definitely more villain. Yeah, I would agree with that. Where I think Zoe Kravitz's take and even Anne Hathaway's take is more anti-hero. For sure. When when the chips are thrown down, they're on Batman's side, so... Mm-hmm. And this is definitely the most Burton-y of the two movies. Easily. Oh, yeah. Man, just comparing it even to like Edward Scissorhands, which came after it, like you see a lot of 
<laughs> style similarities, even more so than the first one. They probably got the snow at discount. <laughs> <laughs> Very likely, knowing that you got two productions. I mean, in this movie, we basically see Penguin rise to power from being kind of this monstrosity in the sewers, become the mayor. Batman kind of chases him down, but then gets sidetracked by Catwoman, who seduces him in a very organic way, not like Poison Ivy in two movies from now, <laughs> um, a different type of organic way, but uh, ultimately takes on both of them at once. Batman's victorious. Another villain dies, which is wild how many villains die in these movies. Big problem. Big problem. <laughs> Especially if you want to bring anybody back. Like, right. Although maybe in the Nolan movies, does everybody, Rosal Gold dies. Uh, Joker's left open to be alive. Yeah. Bane? Did, Bane, Bane dies. Because doesn't what's-her-name, like, just, like, run her over at the end? Well, Talia dies. Yeah. Oh, that's who. I don't know. It's, it's been a while. It yeah. Been a while. It has been a while. Have you guys heard the story of the Catwoman casting process? No. No, I haven't. Okay. So a lot of A-list actresses, like A-listers, lobbied super hard for Catwoman. And one specifically was Sean Young, who I think, Fred, you probably know. I could see some recognition in your eyes. Do you? No. Okay. Sounds like familiar. Sean Young, you'll remember, is the android companion of Decker in Blade Runner. It's also Einhorn in Ace Ventura. Uncle's Einhorn. Yeah. So she really, really, really wanted this role to the point where even when she wasn't invited, she showed up at Warner Brothers Studios dressed as like Julie Newmar's Catwoman, <laughs> like came into the office, like stormed in on the casting process, like locked the door and was like, I'm going to read for Catwoman. <laughs> And they were like, okay, you're not getting the role. You're also not allowed in any work for this production. So we're getting moving forward. Also, we're calling the cops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they had to call Batman. Oh. <laughs> Keaton, can you get out of here? Oh, man. And yeah, so ultimately, though, Michelle Pfeiffer was cast, which is an excellent choice. Mm -hmm. Should have been nominated. She's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. I mean, let's just get into it. The casting for Catwoman and Penguin for this was like a home run. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, Danny DeVito was right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But like, they were probably like, we need like a Danny DeVito type. Right. <laughs> let's get Danny DeVito. <laughs> and his take on that Penguin, especially with the thick New York accent coming mm. up and being just like this real disgusting version like of the a Penguin. creature. <laughs> He's an animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a penguin. Mm -hmm. Like a penguin. Mm -hmm. And shout out to uh, Pee Wee Herman was his mom or dad. Yes. <laughs> the beginning. I, I like his little performance in the beginning there. I would say the only other person who I think could play him and but it would be the other take that we've seen kind of like in the Arkham games mm -hmm. is you get like Bob Hoskins. Then you get like oh. the, in, you know, the European because isn't there a version where he's like English and he's all oh, I'm the penguin, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I would love a Bob Hoskins penguin just cigar chomping. Man. We're getting that though a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess Colin Farrell's kind of doing a Bob Hoskins, but not British. Yeah. Whoops. But Colin Farrell is what, Irish? Yeah. Or I don't know. 
Welsh. He's Irish. Okay. I, I, I wasn't going to assume, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he's, yeah, not bringing that same energy that you're talking about though with Bob Hoskins. Yeah, Bob Hoskins is just like his own thing. He's one of my favorite guys. <laughs> yeah, like like a Mr. Smee type thing. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. God, he's so good in that movie too. But, I mean, you, you can't really get better, I don't think, than most of the castings we got in this at the time, right? Like, who, who else do you put in any of these roles? Hmm... Trying to think who was like steely and at that time for like a Catwoman role because you want someone with like a darker side. I'm trying to think. I'm having a blank on eighty, like late eighties, yeah. early nineties. I'm I'm thinking of actresses, but they're all nice. I'm like yeah. Meg Ryan, no, yeah. no. Although Anne Hathaway, who I think of as like a nice theater kid, really, I think <laughs> she she's got she theater is. kid energy up the hoo ha. <laughs> And I think she can play on that in certain movies, and she does. I think she was great as Catwoman, I'm going to say, for that take. Yeah. But uh, back, I don't know. It's hard to, because, like, this Catwoman is, she's kind of, like, psycho. Mm -hmm. And Michelle Pfeiffer just uh, really does such a great job at kind of switching between Selena Kyle and Catwoman. And it's just hard to imagine anyone else playing her with how good of a job she did. No, you're right. And I... She does have that edge to her, right? Like the only person I could think of that was maybe a little old at the time was Cher. And I like that. Like Cher could probably bring it. a little edge to that, right? But which is ironic because she's in a movie with Michelle Pfeiffer, like what, two years before that in uh, The Witches of Eastwick? Ooh, good movie. Yeah. That, with Jack Nicholson. With Jack Nicholson. Yeah. I know. Bringing them all together. Have you ever seen that movie, Joe? No. Check it out. Directed by the guy who did Mad Max. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I pulled up a list of actresses. That's how upset I am that I can't think of actresses. And like, yeah, um, they're giving me a lot of like singers. And then they were like Molly Ringwald, which I'd watch. I'd see that. Uh, Winona Ryder. I would watch too. Julia Roberts. I would. I think she's got it in her. Got to give Julia some love. And that would be kind of like the Anne Hathaway thing where it would be like playing on the uh, expectation. Yeah, but even like Julia Roberts, it feels like it's too, I don't know. See, she's too much like like a model, Like I feel like, you know, like. Michelle Pfeiffer has cat eyes. Yes. And uh, I always recommend for like a bad, good movie is her and Wolf. Have you guys ever seen Wolf with Jack Nicholson and James Spader? No. No. Ooh, check it out. Werewolf movie with that cast. But she has like a piercing gaze, like a cat staring at you. So I like that. I was going to say, Fred, I bet you also like the scene where all the cats are flocking to her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love the cats. I love the penguins. I love all the animal stuff in this is great. Yeah. The one person we haven't talked about, though, since we started talking about this, Christopher Walken. And his <laughs> dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just love that his son is just like, I'm, I'll am i do Walken, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it is. A, it's definitely a choice because the guy does sort of resemble Walken, too. Like they found <laughs> that was a time when it felt like they were able to find a lot of actors that resembled like famous people in Hollywood. Like uh, Robert De Niro had like a character or actor who's cast as his son who looks like a young De Niro. Uh, what is that? Once Upon a Time in the America? Once Upon a Time in America? I've never seen that movie. I watched a little bit of it, but it's crazy. Yeah. But I, it's definitely a very, compared to the Wayne's World episode we were talking about, 
this was the walk-in. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I want that energy that he's got in this where he's just so extra. He's almost like a, a 17th century, like Englishman, <laughs> like living in New York. Like he has that energy to him. <laughs> uh, Walken, the guy who played Walken's son is the guy, he's the tech, he's Leatherface, not the original, but like the guy oh. who took over for all the sequels and all that. Cause he's a big dude. If you look at oh, him, he is tall guy. Yeah, I mean, so do you guys like this one better than the first one? Or you think it's just kind of, I don't know, as good or less than what it was expected? I think this movie for me personally also has the problem of I need a little more Batman in my Batman movie. Yeah. And the, pro- the problem it has is I think, like we're saying, they do have such good performances from the actors that they have as the villains that it is really interesting to follow them. Plus, like when you add like the kind of Christmas aesthetic onto like Burton's style that he already had from Batman 1989, I think it really combines to make it way more stylish. And it's crazy, like like you're saying, like kind of like the dark, the darkness it gets into and how like parents had problems with like, mm-hmm. oh, like my kids are like playing with the toys, but then they watch the movie. It's like, oh, shoot. it's like. Mm-hmm. You know, penguin bites a dude's nose off, yeah. <laughs> and it's bloody. Yeah, it is violent. That actually got it into some big trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think this is ultimately one of the other things that scared Burton off. Well, let alone not wanting to come back for it. But I think even though it got positive reviews, such backlash to the dark tones and the violence in it that it just—I think he just got sick of it and was like, "No, I'm not doing another one of these." Mm-hmm. I, I say that this, my favorite this is my favorite movie that has Batman. Mm-hmm. It's not the best Batman movie. Yeah. But that's yeah, that's how I would phrase it. That's interesting. Is it the cats and Christmas friend? It's the cats, <laughs> it's a Christmas, but it's just like I think it's because it's Tim Burton like way off the leash. Mm-hmm. And I love it when a director who has a specific style goes off leash. You know this. Like yeah. M. Night Shyamalan, when he's doing his thing, even if it's not like the best filmmaking, mm-hmm. I'm like Oh, he's doing his thing. Like, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get too far into it, but I really wish Sam Raimi would have gone off the leash for Doctor Strange. Like, like I said, that movie needed to be ten percent more Raimi, and I would, I would be seeing it again this week. Yeah, that has been my debate. I almost wanted to catch it again in three D because I was like, I should have seen this in three D. There was a lot of good three D stuff, but I don't think I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I thought the same thing when we were leaving the theater. I saw that there was a three D showing, and I was like, dang. That was a big missed opportunity for me. Would have been nice to see that Avatar trailer in oh. 3D. <laughs> Is that why they had it in 3D everywhere? Just for the trailer? Just for the trailer. <laughs> you could take your glasses off. Remember the coolest movie was in 3D? <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Batman Returns, I think you look at it from the top down. I mean, it's a solid movie. I still have a lot of love for the first one, I think more than Returns, but I've come to appreciate Returns so much more over the years because it does add... Batman 89 walks so Returns could just run wild. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how I feel about that movie. Yeah, And for these two Batman movies, I'm going to say something that... I don't know if this was going to come up in your highlights. I will say this iteration is my favorite of the Batmobiles. Oh. I don't know how you guys feel about your Batmobiles, but this is my favorite. It's a very good one. Oh. I. No, let's let's talk about it right now. Why not? I think the the next two are too 
they're too neon. They're too out there. They're trying to do too much with it. Mm. This one just is, feels like it, it had the right amount of flair. I say that about the two movies in general, mm. too, versus Schumacher's. They had the right, they had a tone and a style that mm-hmm. fit all the way down to the details on the Batmobile with like the bat wings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I'm saying. The Burton ones yeah. are my favorite Batmobile. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, and I, I'm agreeing with you. I think cool, this cool. is probably my favorite one, too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Burton one is definitely my favorite. I feel like the Schumacher ones, it's kind of, you can tell where some outside influences, I think, kind of came in to make it look a little more toy-like. Toy-etic. Yeah, toy-etic, exactly. Whereas, like, Burton is like, I have my artistic style. Like, I'm I'm not going to let, like, the studio have any input on this. And I think it made it the best one. And it's one of the sexiest Batman movies. (laughs) One of them. One of them. I'm curious to hear where you fall on that panel. Um, But it does have some really, really tense good moments with Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton have oh, a yeah. lot of chemistry in this. Mm-hmm. That was, she's just a slam dunk casting. And I think it worked so much better for him to add that dynamic. She put that bird in her mouth for real. What? Oh, Ooh. gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a wild, it's just a wild movie all the way up and down. I mean, it really feels feral with <laughs> how she acts and how DeVito acts as the penguin. I don't know. I, I I love it. I just love that this is the the follow up. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we did not get the follow up that Burton had planned, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And coulda, woulda, shoulda, but instead we get Batman Forever, directed by Joel Schumacher, who did not have as many credits as I thought leading up to this movie. Do you guys know what his uh, one of his original first jobs? Before directing was? What was that? What? He did the window designs at like Macy's or Gimbel's or something like <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Set design? <laughs> yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. It adds mm. so much more to what you see there. Because, you know, Batman Returns, financial success for Warner Brothers, but they felt it should have made more money. So they claim to have changed the direction of the Batman film series to make it more mainstream. And then Joel Schumacher replaced Tim Burton as director. Burton did stay on as producer, but I would bet if you asked him, he's going to say, I didn't want to do the third movie. And that's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, it made sound like he didn't want to do the second (laughs) one anyway. (laughs) So... Michael Keaton was planning to come back, saw the new direction that the film series was taking. He read the new script that they were writing. He read the the style notes that Schumacher was giving, and he said, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) If Burton's out, I'm out. And good on him. (laughs) I mean, I think he bowed out at the right time, kind of went out. Uh, Maybe in some people's notes, not on top, but... I think it was on top. Yeah, he he picked a good time to get out. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> so casting went underway for Batman, and we landed on Val Kilmer. What? <laughs> 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 I'm not big on the Kilms in no? this movie. I liked Val Kilmer a lot, but oh, we're gonna he doesn't r- do it for me. Yeah. We're going to run into something later. 
but then they had a whole little casting process again for all the other characters. So I was going to save this for coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I'll just bring it down now. So, Fred, who was the guy you thought was going to be cast as Robin? Uh, Damon Wayne's Marlon Wayne. Oh, Marlon. Wayne's. Marlon Wayne. Wayne's. Makes yes. more sense. Not only was Marlon Wayne supposed to play Robin in Batman Forever, he was cast in Batman 1 and had been collecting checks since what? that movie because he got cut. He still gets residuals, I Dang. think. Dang. Yep. Still getting checks. Good for him. So you were right. It was and the same guy. I would have loved to see that in the 90s. Like when I think that would have been a cool take. I mean, it's not. I, I don't know if they were going to go like strictly comic book stories, but if they were just going to kind of do their own interpretation. Like I think the story was he was going to be kind of like a street racer guy, kind of like chris o'donnell was but he like stole something from batman and then they kind of create a relationship off of that or something yeah. like that which i like way better than the chris o'donnell version mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. no one ever has said get me chris o'donnell except in the years of like 93 <laughs> yeah. 98 no one has ever said that <laughs> i mean he's kind of like gone down with the role of Robin, right? I mean, when's the last time you've heard outside he, of what, NCIS or yeah, he's yeah, making CSI. he's making great money on TV, working like on Hawaii Five O, and <laughs> he's probably really good at that. Yeah, but not for me. No, no. So hey, the guy can work a towel. <laughs> <laughs> instead of Chris O'Donnell, or instead of Marlon Wayans, we got Chris O'Donnell, and that expresses that as history. Wanted to come back, though, to Robin Williams because once again, their preferred actor for the role for the Riddler was Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, not sure if he wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So once again, they went knocking on poor Robin's door. We're like, you want to do the Riddler? Oh, 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 me? Oh, I would be my heart of a dream. I have a riddle. <laughs> I have a riddle for you. Oh, it's going to be a riddle for you, man. <laughs> Uh, so pulled the rug out from Robin again and he swore off anything doing with Warner Brothers I think at that point like you guys are going to do this to me to hell with you so they got Jim Carrey and then in addition to their casting choices we didn't even talk about him in the first one we had Billy D. Williams talk about Lando earlier in our emails too As well, Harvey to be fair, the first two movies kind of forget about him, too. Yeah. yeah. Tim Burton wasn't really doing it for him in the first two. No. Well, that's too bad, too, because I think he could have brought a very interesting take. In again, in the 90s, you have here is Billy D. Williams, not more than Lando now. He is now a, a straight on supervillain. Like mm-hmm. I would like him in like more of a like if we were getting like the Reeves style of movie, but back then like a Donner diehard style Batman. Yeah. Him as like, you know, like a court drama style two face from like a nineties Grissom novel. Mm-hmm. Like that take of a two face played by Billy D. Yeah. Super charismatic. And then like goes kind of like Jekyll and Hyde, I think would be Awesome. I think it'd be fun. I mean, especially if it was Burton still in that, I think maybe he could have pulled out if he committed. But again, I don't think Billy D. Williams is at all in Batman Returns. Right. That's why, like, I heard, like, that like, like that was the plan. And when I watched those movies, I'm like, that doesn't look like the plan. No. 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 Not at all. So instead, we get Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> How do you guys feel mm-hmm. about Tommy Lee in this? Uh, I feel like. 
Tommy Lee Jones looked at Jack Nicholson Joker and took the wrong notes from it because he's just like yes. doing a lot of weird shit and mm-hmm. just like random shouts and it just wasn't doing it for me. That's exactly what happened. But he looked at Jim Carrey. It was like while they were filming, he saw what Jim Carrey was doing and was like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to do that. Like, that's what they both said. And he like hated Jim Carrey. Like, I know there's like the big story where he saw him at a restaurant and he was like, hey, I'm going to be Jim Carrey was like, I'm going to be in Batman movie with you. And he said, like, I can't stand your unsanctioned buffoonery. (laughs) I just love that line so much. That is. But again, I would have loved if you're going to give me a take on uh, Two-Face where he's like a Southern lawyer and he's bringing that Tommy Lee Jones and Lincoln energy yeah, where he's like mm-hmm. straight up like talking people to the floor like it's a Def Jam thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, He goes hard in Lincoln. If he was like that kind of lawyer and then you get like this Two-Face side, I would love that. But that's not what we get. No. Instead, we get <sighs> I don't even know what we get. I honestly, here here's my hot take. I'm going to throw this out for you guys right now. I don't think Batman Forever is bad. I don't think it's a bad movie. No. Nope. I think it's made worse because Tommy Lee Jones doesn't know what he's doing mm-hmm. in this. And he can't decide on a direction. And every scene he's in, he tanks. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he should have been the serious villain. Yeah. Like I said, like a nice, charming yeah. southern lore who then all of a sudden turns into like this serious Jekyll. And he could have played it. Right. Or you get like the Aaron Eckhart direction in Dark Knight Mm -hmm. where instead of going crazy, I mean, he does like the the like done with it all of like I'm pushed over the edge. I'm done playing games. I'm just going to start offing people. And if you play that in this movie, boy, with the Riddler energy that Jim Carrey is bringing, you got an interesting dynamic. Yeah. It would have just been such a good foil to that Riddler because like when you think of Two-Face, you think it's you want to play with that like duality of the character but he literally is only going at like one speed mm-hmm. which is this like crazy manic energy and there isn't any of that like table setting of like yeah make him like more of like a straight and narrow type of guy and he can like slowly earn you know that crazy you know build up right it's like how jack nicholson's like already crazy in the beginning of the shining mm-hmm. and then like the book he's like supposed to be like a normal dude and then like it's like a transformation right i feel like he's kind of like we just see him we see like a video flashback of not a flashback but just like some video footage of him holding up the folder mm-hmm. when he gets the like you know whatever thrown on him to burn his face but then we're just in like from minute one of this movie isn't he right in the beginning yeah he's just bug nuts yeah and it's like what what is he even going off of why is he like this and i don't think a lot of people knew two-face before this if you weren't a comic fan he, right he wasn't in the the batman series there's a famous uh, and it actually got made into a, a cartoon now or like a animated movie the person who was supposed to play two-face in the batman 60s series was william shatner and mm-hmm. Which is the <laughs> craziest, campiest energy that you almost would have wanted to channel for a role like this, where he's playing it dead straight, but he is so kind of goofy in his delivery that it almost kind of like you're like kept at like arm's length. You're like, whoa, wait, what? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a there's a whole uh, animated movie where they got Adam West and Burt Ward back to play <laughs> their characters or voice their characters and. I didn't see it yet, but it sounded fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. But it, it does, though. You don't get the segue as to what this character is about, why he's like this. And I think that's the problem with both 
Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Would you guys agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the best thing about these two movies, I think, is the set design of Gotham. Mm. I like the bug knots, bug knots, bug nuts, neons, and color, and like the greens, the purples. I love all that. You just got to make it work. I think that was like the one thing I didn't really like about the Reeves one was I was like, it's a little stylized, but I just had to watch Nolan's back two movies. The first one, Batman Begins, is stylized as fuck yeah. Gotham. But the other two movies, it's just Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's something really important to me in a Batman, which is because we grew up on mm-hmm. Burton ones and these. I want a funky looking Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, one thing I do like about these movies and one thing I always want in a Batman movie that I feel like even today hasn't really been done well is have a lot of Bat family members in it. Mm. And obviously through these two films, they try and incorporate them. They're not very successful, but I kind of appreciate that attempt because I think Batman becomes he's like he's he's a really cool character when you kind of add all his allies and like Batgirl and Robin and the multiple robins and stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. and it's interesting you bring that up then too, Joe, because then this isn't even a coulda, woulda, shoulda. This is going to happen. So we have a Batgirl movie now coming out in the fall where they've reimagined Batgirl. It's going to be a very progressive take, it sounds like. But the Batman in that is going to be Michael Keaton's Batman. So what? it's almost like we're finally getting that incorporation of him with his Bat family members 20 years later, which is an interesting time to actually explore that. Mm, I think that way they, they're going to probably be pulling from uh, Batman beyond. They're yep. going to be pulling from a lot of stuff. Mm. I just, again, I hope they bring back, I hope Gotham looks like Gotham in the other two movies. They can update it to look more, you know, modern quote unquote, but it better look funky. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. And I actually would agree with you on that Fred. I think one of the things that struck me, I said, there's things I like about these movies and I don't dislike Batman forever. It starts corny because of Tommy Lee Jones and my mm-hmm. thing. But if the movie goes on, they're exploring some stuff that they really don't touch with Batman until we get to Batman Begins of like, why is he like this? Like mm-hmm. what what turned him and there's a there's a nugget of a good script there that I think Bill Val Kilmer does okay with. I think he could have done better with a different movie. I think he would have been in a pretty good Batman. I don't like his face in the suit. I'll say that. He doesn't do it like some people do Is it, it. the smile gif? Is that what's throwing you off? No, but <laughs> I know recently there was like a picture of Robert Pattinson smiling in the suit that like went around. It was like a gif of, and it looks weird. Like Batman smiling in the suit looks weird. Yes. Mm. But no, I don't know. He's got that weird chin, pouty chin going. I don't think he looks good in the suit. I I can maybe buy that. But. Yeah, Val wasn't really doing it for me here either. But I do think at least, like you're saying, Tom, they kind of try and dig into some of like, like why does Bruce Wayne do this? Like he kind of wants to like get out of the game, you know? And yeah. I think there is a kernel of something there, but uh, I just don't think this movie really had the material to, no. <laughs> to dive into that. I like that trippy dream sequence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when uh, Nicole Kidman's given through. Mm. Chase a, Meridian? Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure the name got on the podcast. Great name. <laughs> Dr. Chase Meridian. Nicole Kidman, I think, at this time could have done a, um, a cat woman. Ooh. Ooh. Not then, but I think a few late years in, like Eyes Wide Shut time, like yeah. around this time. Yeah, man. You almost wonder, too, if they looked at her like, man, maybe that was a missed opportunity that we could have done with her or just put her in the suit don't have to see what selena looks like outside 
it was kind of an odd choice. Maybe they didn't have a vision of what they wanted to do, that they didn't bring back Catwoman when it was established that she survived at the end of Batman Returns. Like, first villain to survive. And then <laughs> One of my favorite shots is her at the end where she looks like a cat, and it's like the pan up. And yeah. Yeah, and Nicole Kidman mentions Catwoman, so it's kind of like, I thought, like, when I watched it, I was like, oh, like, are they going to... Are they going to incorporate Catwoman again? Mm-hmm. Like, it would have been cool to kind of, you know, bridge the Schumacher and the Burton mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. So this is probably a good time to talk about this, though, too. I kind of feel like we're doing the highlights in the coulda, woulda, shoulda a little bit, too. But <laughs> we're, we're teetering in all, all areas at this point. Mm-hmm. We're doing this. is This is Batman. Um, State of the Franchise podcast. In case you forgot <laughs> what you're listening to. <laughs> so is this a sequel to Batman Returns? We have the same Alfred actor. We have the same Commissioner Gordon actor, but nobody else is the same. I don't think. I think the. I think the first. I think some people will say it is, but in my in my mind, it's. I would say the first two are in the same universe, and the second two, even though the Batman changes, are in the same universe. Mm. To me. Okay, so you're saying this is all same story. The first, no, I'm saying the first two are one story. The second two are another story. Okay. Michael Goth is just the multiverse of madness. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's the one constant yeah. in these two universes. Okay. I buy that because that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're seeing a different version of Gotham. We're seeing a different version of Batman. Yeah. In my mind, I kind of feel like these are two separate universes. I do think it could have been more interesting to kind of keep building on Batman if they were to go that route. But yeah, I mean, Alfred, he is just that kind of constant in the multiverse. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel that they're two separate stories. And stuff like that makes people feel safe. I think when you watch, when you're like, okay, it's still Sam Alfred. Okay, (laughs) I know this. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but it is a very different take all together and i do i do like the set design one of the things i noted in batman and robin a movie that i mean we're about to get into shortly but the giant statues that are holding up yes. the highways i am like what is this that's actually kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> and they have that in batman begins which makes me so mad they have giant statue stuff like, yeah. yeah but i didn't keep it up i don't know why oh <sighs> It's it's a wild, wild thing. I would say I want Joel Schumacher's set design, Tim Burton's direction, and like Christopher Nolan's sleek action. The script? Yeah, <laughs> script. Yeah. And then just hire like the John Wick people for action. <laughs> That's like my like really lazy student for anything. Anytime I want the action fix, I'm like, and then just get the John Wick guys. Give me the guys from John uh, Wick. I want Kung Fu. Kung Fu. Kung Fu. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's get into Batman and Robin, right? I mean, we're, we've danced mm. around it long enough. This is, this yeah. is what brings this. Dear God, how could I forget to talk about the music of Batman Forever, even though the two most recognizable songs are not in the movie? <laughs> What's the other big track? That's uh, U2. 
Hold me, thrill me. Oh yeah. Kiss me. There's some smashing me. pumpkins too, I think, on that, maybe. Uh I think that's in Batman and Robin. Oh really? Maybe. Well, like Smashing know. Pumpkins plays in the credits, I think, right? Oh, nice. What plays oh. while Robin is, like, joyriding in the Batmobile? Is that, like, Smash Mouth or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is. Sm- um, Smash Mouth? <laughs> Wait, Smash Mouth Might Smashing as well Pumpkins. be walking on Gotham Street. I'm getting my <laughs> Smash bands mixed up. <laughs> Smash it up. There's Catch This Beat is the band name. But here, this is the this is the U2 song. song starts playing right when the credits start so it's technically not in the movie <laughs> and then i'll play a clip just in case if somebody doesn't know the song um this is what you all came for Such a banger of a song. Great track. Yeah. Is it a miss that that wasn't actually in the movie or does it work better outside the film? I would have loved it. Like, you know, in um, Inglorious Bastards where he just plays uh, that Bowie song for like the whole duration, like the like it's like a whole scene. Mm-hmm. I would love like a chest, like, you know, putting all the pieces in order for the end of the movie set to that whole song just like oh. following everyone in the movie <laughs> just like. well why and maybe this is probably more in the production that you know wasn't in the notes but why would you not do like an orchestrated version of that song and play that as like an undertone yeah. like maybe even when he's doing the reminiscing from like his childhood right like he's literally putting the rose yeah. on the grave <laughs> like, like, like if they did like how they do the Bond movies like there's nothing better in like especially the Daniel Craig movies where they like play notes mm-hmm. from the opening song like with a big orchestra mm-hmm. Ooh, even the like bad Bond songs from the new movie like the newest one like I don't like that song but when I hear it in the movie i'm like oh, yeah that's nice that's the that's the magic of of the bond movie i thought you're gonna say billy eilish <laughs> magic of billy eilish <laughs> she's a she's good I, I don't know i think she's a fine singer i just the problem with those uh the sam smith song and her song is they don't put enough of a sick of beat because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what you do for a bond song you have like that nice orchestral music mm-hmm. like skyfall and then you hit it with the <laughs> You know, that's how you do it. It's good. So finally now, moving on to Batman and Robin after talking about it forever. So after Batman Forever came out, Warner Brothers was happy with how the product turned out. And Val Kilmer, because of scheduling conflicts with The Saint, pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. Mm. Who directed that? I'm going to look it up. Okay, go for it. Philip Noyce directed (laughs) The Saint, who also directed... 
no other big movies. <laughs> no, he directed <laughs> like The Giver, and uh, he, he helped with Gone Baby Gone. He helped yeah, Affleck direct that. Okay, that's fair. I, I didn't hate Gone Baby Gone. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. The town's better. Town is better. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. So they were looking for another Batman. Once again, casting process took them all over the place, and they landed on a young upstart that they really liked from this little show called ER, George Clooney. The Clooney-tang. The Clooney-tang. George. We also get the entrance of Batgirl, played by Alicia Silverstone, fresh off Clueless, Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy, Arnold Schwarzenegger's freeze pun filled Mr. Freeze and a Frankenstein's monster version of Bane, which is a mindless dope compared to Tom Hardy's and makes him look like exponentially better. A lot of stuff happens. There's like parties throughout this entire movie. I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. every sequence between an action scene is a party. And then we get to the end where science is defied in all logic and Batman, Robin and Batgirl have their last outing together for the rest of the movies until now. So end of franchise. End of end of franchise. Or was it? Then Chris Nolan mm-hmm. enters about what eight, ten years later. Hold my cup of tea. <laughs> I'll have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> but we got Clooney in Batman now. I think you're you're right. He got done dirty. Mm-hmm. Joe, what's your take on Clooney? He did get done dirty. He really doesn't have much to work with in this movie. I feel like, you know, we kind of mentioned like how some of the good parts of like Michael Keaton, like encapsulating Bruce Wayne and like the kernel of like Bruce Wayne's struggle with Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. In this movie, I don't think there's really any of that. No. Bruce Wayne is basically just like a rich dude who, you know, dresses up like a bat and George Clooney just doesn't get much to work with. He's got a lot of grumpy dad energy. You guys find that? <laughs> he's not sick. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's not <laughs> sick. He's dying. That, that part cracked me up. I'm like, what is the difference? <laughs> but he's bringing an energy to the role that is 100% right. When you say with a different script, this would have worked. I 100% believe this in this movie than any other thing I think we've ever talked about. Yeah, you want like Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. That's the kind of Batman George Clooney movie you want. You want the Bruce Wayne is an asshole. Let's see him get, um, I don't know, what's the word for it? Let's get his, uh, what's the thing at a movie where you get your thing, your arc? Let's get his arc (laughs) through being Batman. Yeah. You know? And there's just nothing to Batman. He's just the the conduit for everybody else in this movie. He's the the credit. Th- <laughs> Batman's got a credit card. Yeah, never leave home without it. <laughs> Man, I I get what Schumacher was doing. I get it. There is more than Batman Forever. I think in there he was still trying to hold some element of what Burton was doing. But this was his movie. Like this is gonna be my movie. I love the 60s Batman series. We're going back to that. We're going to have goofy shit. Batman's got a tool for everything. He can heat up Robin in a frozen pond. And like, Do you think there's an audience for a movie of that tone harkening to the 60s, like a live action movie? I think there could be. But the movie, like, the movie would have to be very, you know... It's very, very clear that that's the intentions of it, because I think with a character like Batman, especially with like the Burton movies and then even you get a little bit of that Batman forever. It's just 
very jarring to go from mm-hmm. that tone to yeah. Batman and Robin, where I think even like with some of the animated stuff, you know, there is a little bit of that of more like, you know, silliness, uh, campiness. And I think that can work, but it's mm-hmm. just, I think it's just the, the change and like the gradual shift to being so campy is really what mm-hmm. kind of I, I'm thinking more like this comes out after like the second or third Matt Reeves movie. Yeah. At the same time, different people, different style. I just wonder if people want that at all. I could see like Seth Rogen coming to Warner Brothers with this idea of like, hey, remember when people really loved those Batman movies? Like, remember like Batman from the 60s? Like, we could totally do that. <laughs> I think they'd be like, pass, we saw Green Hornet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like Edgar Wright or Peyton Reed, Ooh. you know? But I feel like they could do a pretty interesting Batman movie. Well, I would love to see like Edgar Wright do some of the Bat Family, like you were talking about, Joe, like a Nightwing movie, or mm. like just add something different than the Batman of like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I'd love a team movie that's not made by James Gunn. Yeah, I love James Gunn, but mm. like I don't want that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, you got other people out there who are doing that style, though. You have a Taika. You have, you know, plenty of people who can hit that without having to be him. But we got, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger coming and getting paid by the sentence. He got an, a ludicrous amount of money to do this movie. And boy, did he earn every line. He is having the time of his fucking life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And also another like, I don't think he had it then, but like maybe now, like I know it'd be hard to buy him as a doctor, but I think he could have also done much better with a better version of this character, like yeah. like the real comic book version that's like sad. And yeah. like, I think he could have done it. <laughs> He's not off the deep end. He's just deep into the puns. He's, yeah. he's you during the Star Wars video game episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say this, though, and I really want your guys' take. Was Uma Thurman that far from possibly nailing this? <laughs> I think she's great. Yeah, I thought she did a good job. I mean, with kind of the campiness of the of the material, the character, I thought she did good. Yeah. She, as they say, knows what move. She understood the assignment. Yeah. As yes. they say. <laughs> I think I always had a very negative opinion of just the whole movie in general that like, oh, everyone's bad in it. It stinks. Coming back now, I was like, whoa. Uma's got the look and she's kind of hitting the right notes with the right, like Mm -hmm. just twists of energy where she needs it. Like, I think, yeah, like you said, she understood the assignment. Schumacher, Mm -hmm. I think was spending some time with her and she's like, okay, I know Mm -hmm. what we're doing, but nobody else did. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen your Macy's displays. (laughs) (laughs) This was a pretty decent, failure all around i mean the movie didn't do well the movie was very poorly received critically i mean you you can look at a lot of different things but man and i alicia silverstone maybe got done dirty but she was not good in this no she's not good in this movie i think she's an actress who when given good roles gives good performances but nah i mean we saw clueless right she's yeah she's decent in that but yeah, this this was just not not the movie for for people, and that's where we hit the reset button. 
overall. Um, but we almost had a fifth movie. I just want to say with Alicia Silverstone, sorry, that she's in a Yorgos Lathamos movie. Oh? She's in Killing a Sacred Deer, I'm pretty sure. Whoa. I'm going to uh, confirm it. Yeah, she's in Killing a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell. The Penguin. Dang. <laughs> Whoa. Is Good a, movie. A favorite. A favorite of that director. Oh, yeah. Man. I don't know. You guys have anything else to share before we talk about what movie five would have been? Oh. Nah, I think it's just really this movie had a little too much of that, you know, s- studio meddling going yeah, on. Yeah, well, I just would say real quick that I know they actually meddled and said, we want this to be more toyetic. Was yes. And I was like, that, if you watch any special feature on this movie, you're going to hear that word a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the whole fact that in the, like, the final sequence, they come out in a costume change. Yeah. And I'm like, why did they do this? Why did they go home and change clothes when they are like out and about like at Poison Ivy's place? Mm-hmm. It's like... You would think it might be nipple chafing, but those suits have built-in nipple holes, so you, no, it's not yeah. chafing. Oh, my gosh. I, I almost want to get into a coulda, woulda, shoulda of how this movie could have been better. Getting rid of the nipple suits. Maybe. I would say add more nipples. <laughs> how many Just nipples does a band have? Six. <laughs> Paneled suits. Uh, the whole idea, everything with Barbara Gordon really bothered me. I was like, why did we not make her Commissioner Gordon's daughter? Like, w- did we not feel that was a strong enough tie to Batman? That's like Batman's buddy. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I Pat, like- Pat Hingle or whatever, who plays Commissioner Gordon in the first couple of movies, and I guess in those movies, didn't really have a strong character. So I think it'd be weird if they were like, all of a sudden, here's Drew Barrymore. Someone has his daughter. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like he was also like pretty old yeah. for like to be his daughter. And then like Fred was saying, he just didn't really have a lot of importance in any of the movies. No, that's true. That'd be like them having Billy D be two days after. You me? <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were in those movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gordon, Harvey Dent, all the all the classics that Nolan did so much more justice to got done pretty badly in these movies. But just the whole fact that, like, Alfred's like, I have a suit made for you. You already know all this stuff about the gadgets. Like, you don't have to do any training. <laughs> what? My password is three letters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. I know. Somebody would have hacked the back computer and it just would have been all over. Like, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> oh, and something cool throughout all these movies. Cool back caves. Very cool back Very cool back caves. And we could have seen the cooler back cave. We could have seen... Batman Unchained was what? the fifth movie. So this kicks off our coulda, woulda, shoulda in our very long episode. Thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> <laughs> so during the filming of Batman and Robin, Warner Brothers loved the dailies, which I don't know what they were watching. But That's because they had Benny Hill music playing under <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They uh They greenlit, though, the fifth movie, and we're like, Schumacher, you're back. Do this again. You're bringing in the toys, the energy we like. Uh, And they wanted to bring in this movie uh, to bring it back, bring in the Scarecrow. Mm. And he had a musical number. They also would have had (laughs) this is an interesting piece. Would have had the Joker return as a hallucination in Batman's mind caused by Scarecrow's fear toxin. (gasps) If anybody played Arkham Knight, that sounds very familiar. So clearly, Paul Dini or whoever was making Arkham Knight wrote that was like, 
I got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the peop- the person that would have made her debut was Harley Quinn, but in this is Joker's daughter. She's a mm-hmm. very strange that's choice. Hard. That's not like a bad take or anything, but it'd just be hard to watch because we're just so used to them being lovers. Yeah. yeah. So this film would have depicted Scarecrow and Harley Quinn teaming up to drive Batman insane and have him committed to Arkham. After their defeat, the film would have ended with Bruce Wayne traveling to Bali and entering a cave where he allows himself to be swarmed by bats to symbolize that he has conquered fear. Whoa. And he has to make a really big jump. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) This is awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm glad everyone else heard that. I did. (laughs) So here, here was... Do you guys want to know who uh, was cast as Scarecrow? Oh, yeah. You'll never. Laid on us. We would have had a great casting that didn't go through. They wanted Nicolas Cage Whoa. to be Scarecrow. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Batman. I'm made of straw. <laughs> Your neurosis is getting to you. <laughs> so before. That was before they ultimately cast the person that they got. So Nicolas Cage had to back out. Oh. And it was ultimately going to be Coolio. What? <laughs> I don't really know what to make of that. <laughs> Whenever I think about Coolio, I can't help it. He was on Chopped and he got caught cheating. What? He seasoned his food after the bell, like, oh. tried to be sneaky about oh, it. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my god! So he got some villainous uh, behavior <laughs> yeah, <right>. to him. <laughs> Man, isn't... Oh, that just... That yeah. says everything you need to know about Coolio. But Coolio, isn't he in... He's one? been in some movies. No, he? but isn't he in Batman and Robin? Or he is. He is. He's yeah. the guy who runs the... The races. So was oh, that already oh, Scarecrow? Oh, they planted the seeds. So Scarecrow is already in it. Yeah. And so that obviously didn't go through. Just Coolio doing whip it, says Scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, my God. It's just, I can't, I can't even envision Coolio doing Scarecrow. It doesn't work. Because he would also have to have a Ph.D., <laughs> Dr. Coolio. <laughs> did they have a casting for Harley Quinn? Um, I did not see one in my research, so I don't think they got that far. I'd be like 99, 2000. Yeah. No, 98, 99, 2000. Hmm. Could have had Julia Stiles. I like Julia I Stiles. Like I like that. I like that. Which would be crazy because then later Heath Ledger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would have... That wow. would have been, what if that was the third Nolan? Oh, fourth Nolan. Fourth Nolan. <laughs> Ledger's Joker with Julius Stott. Man. You're Plus just Jared Joseph Gordon to be jo- oh! Oh! It's Robin. <laughs> you see, you're just too good to be true. <laughs> I just can't take my eyes off you. <laughs> wow. What a, what a sliding door. Poor Heath. R.I.P. <laughs> so... That was that was the what if for the fifth movie. Now I have a couple more for you guys. This is gonna be one of our one of our best coded what a shit is. So we talked about Burton's Batman three, right? 
So in this one, would have been called Batman Continues. Okay. So this would have had Billy D as Two-Face. That was the plan. Okay. And we would have seen him kind of go through his transition. So whether or not that would have worked, I mean, basically could have happened. I mean, he was right there. He was already cast. Uh and it would have been more of an origin story, kind of like we were seeing. Like, why is Batman Batman? Marlon. Big time for lawyer movies. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah, you're right. Mostly made by Joel Schumacher. <laughs> <laughs> Marlon Wayans would have been Robin. We talked about that a little bit already. Uh, would have had the Riddler's question mark shaved into his head Whoa. as such. Hmm. So Riddler was in this. We would have had potentially Robin Williams as the Riddler then. Ooh. But, yeah. So, ultimately, then, it would have established, then, a Catwoman spinoff with Michelle Pfeiffer, then, was the next step in that whole franchise. Which we got, kind of. We did. <laughs> with Halle Berry, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Sharon Stone, another actress who could have been a good Catwoman. Mm. Especially after watching uh, The Quick and the Dead. Oh, yeah, there you go. Getting on your Raimi train? Oh, I'm on the Raimi train. Raimi train. train. Although I skipped uh, For the Love of the Game. Oh. <laughs> I like that movie, kind of. Scarecrow was also supposed to make an appearance. Whoa. Coming back to you, Fred, Brad Dourif was the that, that, that That's a great one. Yeah, we could have had Rene Russo, though, as the love interest in this one, as Chase Meridian. And, yeah, Tim Burton ultimately hated the title Batman Forever, which is why he wanted Batman Continues. I don't like Batman Continues. I'm going to say that. Yeah, I think Batman Forever is a better title, but it's not a better movie. Surprised no one in the early days claimed The Long Halloween as a movie title, or has yet. I mean, that's basically kind of what we saw a little bit. Right. I just mean taking the, like, I could have seen them take the title and not even use the story. (laughs) You know, just because that's such a good title. It is a good title. Right. I mean, The Long Halloween is basically the Batman mixed with the dark knight as its sequel like that's Mm -hmm. that's the progression right like we have that movie out there you just have to cut it together but that fifth movie you pitched i always thought coulda woulda shoulda from freddy's dome Mm -hmm. i would say i always want to see a movie where he does end up in arkham as bruce wayne so he's in there but people don't know he's batman you have like a pressure cooker of if they're gonna find out but then have like a movie like the raid in arkham fred you gotta play the telltale batman games man is that similar okay i'll check them out i've never played any of the story games i want to punch i want to kick that's my (laughs) problem (laughs) that's all good so i'm gonna mention this briefly because i don't think it connects as deeply but the project that Tim Burton left for, which is also a coulda, woulda, shoulda in itself, was Superman Lives. Yeah. So there's a documentary now out there on where Nicolas Cage would have been Superman. Mm-hmm. And Tim Burton it's a really good documentary. would have directed. Have you watched it? Oh, yeah. it's uh, I forgot the name of the guy who made it. He died recently. But it's a really good documentary. Yeah. But producer was... John Peters, who people remember from the Oscars episode that we did, was Bradley Cooper's character in Licorice Pizza. So if you want an idea of how that movie fell apart, that guy's nuts. Mm-hmm. And that documentary is great because you actually see way more behind the scenes stuff. It, like really? there's screen tests of him in the Superman suit, but it's like a dark suit. There's drawings like 
the movie was gonna be some insane Tim Burton stuff. Like yeah. it would have been great, I think. I think it had potential. I just don't know if Nick Cage is the right casting for Clark Kent. Yeah. But I still I still like it. <laughs> Cage is a villain would have been interesting in Superman. Oh yeah. But there was a uh I mean, there was also Kevin Smith was supposed to write that movie, too. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a long story oh. he tells from one of his specials, but we'll let you guys all go and find that one. Yeah, You can find any of those YouTube stories or check out the documentary. But like any of those Kevin Smith stories are always interesting. Yeah, I really think I do like the Burton movies. Mm-hmm. I think those had like a really cool style. I do think kind of like they were a victim of their own success and how like the studio was kind of meddling a little bit that mm-hmm. you know what was it toyetic energy right and i think that really kind of torpedoed i think the schumacher films because i think the directors and like the, the actors they just didn't have the material to work with or like have a vision for where they wanted to take things yeah um and i think that is just really i think the shame about especially these this quadrilogy where there's this really cool style built by Burton, but then we get further and further away from that as these movies go on. Yeah. There's definitely a more interesting story to be told, even without Burton in a different director's hands, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just even envisioning, like, what if you got, like, a really young, like, like, Koran or something like that, right? And, like, what if he got to do a take on, like, Batman and Robin? Like, that with the Harry Potter, like, Azkaban style? That could oh, have yeah. been. Mm. He would have done some stuff with the background. Like, I didn't even notice this, but last time I watched uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, at the end when they're in the Shrieking Shack, that house is moving. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's the kind of visual touch I'd like to see in a Batman movie. Right. I mean, you think about that. He would have captured a very, the, the right mystical part of that world that maybe even would have played in Batman Begins. I know everyone says, like, the new Batman is like, oh, it's just like Seven, but I would have loved a real early Fincher style of Batman. Yeah. Like, I want, I want, like, that 90s dark pulp look to a Batman. Like, I want it to look like a thriller from 98, yeah, you know? For sure. I think there could have been something interesting that he would have brought to the table, too. But, yeah, like you said, is that just Matt Reeves' version? I don't know. So are we ready to get into power rankings and wrap this thing up a little bit? Let's do it. Power rankings this week. We're going to talk about the best performances in the Batman movies. I want your top three performances. Joe, go for it. All right. I'll start off. My favorite, I got to go with Michelle Pfeiffer. I just thought her Catwoman, I mean, it's just really dark, really moody, kind of psycho kind of supernatural and i think she like did a great job of kind of capturing that movie's energy yeah not not that and it's a very untraditional take on catwoman like i don't think catwoman's ever really been like that before and i thought she'd agree with that yeah i would definitely agree with that one well i'll I'll save my my rankings but it's a good pick it's a good pick good pick number two michael keaton i think we mentioned how we really kind of like his you know minimalist kind of style Bruce Wayne is kind of eccentric, uh, kind of weird. And I think he kind of just like him chilling in the back cave with like a turtleneck or something. Like I thought he did a great job <laughs> with that. He does rock that turtleneck pretty hard. He does. He looks the part, right? Oh, for sure. Number three, of course, Jack Nicholson is Joker. I mean, yeah. 
he just went for it, you know, and you can tell he had a lot of fun. His name is Jack in the movie. I always kind of like that when an actor's yeah. name is his name in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many movies was Jack Nicholson playing a character named Jack? It's at least three. Right? It's The Shining. Oh, yeah. Jack Torrance. Batman. I don't know. I thought is there, there another one. Maybe? Is he? What? Jake. Yeah, Jake. I'm Jake. sorry. Not Jack. Yeah. So Jake. That's close. That would have been two. The two Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pick, though, Joe. Yeah, great pick. I think that's... There's probably not a lot of contention with those, but we'll see what Fred's got. I put... Just because, you know, you got to go with, like, personal bias. I have Joker. Jack Nicholson is number one. Mm-hmm. Just because in my house, like, Jack Nicholson was that guy. Like, my dad was very similar. Like, my dad was, like, a clean-cut Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, picture, like... The suave version, not like the belly out. Like, <laughs> but uh, he definitely had a very similar vibe. So I guess I just get like vibes when I watch any like hammy Jack Nicholson performance, especially like The Departed is like my dad was like a nice version of that. Just like very gregarious and big and like sure, stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know where I where if I got that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then number two, um, I'm probably going to go with Michelle Pfeiffer just because. Nice. It's more people don't give it enough credit. Like, Mm. I think it's a great performance. She becomes a cat. Mm. And there's also two performances. There is a Mm. switch between the two roles, and they are both great. That's Mm. a great point. And then um, number three, I'm going to have to give it to my man, Danny DeVito. Just because he used to freak me out so much, but now I watch it and cackle. He's got, like... I even pulled up my favorite Danny DeVito line. The perhaps when I had my Tiffany baby rattle with a shiny flipper instead of five chubby digits, they freaked. But I forgive them. <laughs> I just love all of that. Like just dripping the hand and mouth the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm going to give honorable mention and to the Albert Brooks looking dude from the first one for just oh, greatest Knox. friend zone oh, yeah. performance. And then MVP for Michael Goff, because, like, dude, is the MVP? He was, <laughs> he was good. Man, that Knox, though, I realize he's kind of a creeper. He's sort of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes some just very inappropriate advances on Vicky Vale. Those are good picks. I think you guys really covered the board. I'm going to start with a little hot take Uh-oh. here. But I'm actually going to make this an honorable mention because I don't know that I I don't know that I can buy it all the way in. Even myself saying it, Uh-oh. Kilmer. Oh, I kind of liked his performance because I think he does bring a little something in those moments where he is reflecting on his Bruce Wayne. I think his Bruce Wayne is maybe better than Keaton or George Clooney's, and his Batman though. I don't know. That's that's where I think he might win. I'd there. give you the Bruce Wayne stuff. Mm-hmm. He looks pretty, especially with those glasses. Mm. Yeah. Good look. Yeah. I think Bruce Wayne look. there is something to, if you had built a suit around Val Kilmer rather than having to look like Michael Keaton's Batman, maybe it works a little bit better, but I don't know. I do like his Bruce Wayne take. But I'll give that as an honorable mention. Number three, I'll say Danny DeVito. It's hard not to, right? I, I mean, I don't know how you can say anything more. It, it's exactly as Fred doing his spot-on impression there <laughs> of Danny DeVito does. It's it's just a very interesting take. It's It was so bold and so different. 
it actually kind of surprised me they took them so long to do another penguin because I'm like, you're never going to do it like him. So why are you waiting? Like, mm-hmm. and Colin Farrell kind of proved that. Like, I'm just going to do Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it slaps. It's such a mm-hmm. good performance. Oh, yeah. Pfeiffer for number two. There's just no question. Again, like you said, it's two different roles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she's playing, she does both the Selena Kyle and the Catwoman. She's the best Catwoman in the movies. For I'm, sure. I'm talking all the way to Zoe Kravitz, and I like Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, but Pfeiffer's bringing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Jack Nicholson as Joker, number one. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, you guys said it all, but it's just his display. You're never going to get a name like Jack Nicholson to take off a franchise like that again. Or, I mean, it's almost expected mm-hmm. in that way, but you're never going to have that experience. It's almost like, oh, yeah, of course we're going to get you know, uh, Robert Redford for right. Captain America too. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. It's like, it's like, of course we're going to do that. Cause like it's, it's, it's prestige now to do a superhero movie, but to get him at that time, mm-hmm. holy shit. Like you're like Jack Nicholson is doing the Joker. Okay. I'm in like, that's, Puts butts in seats. Mm-hmm. If Jack Nicholson is serving up some ham, I'm pulling up a seat. <laughs> I think we've said our piece on these four Batmans for now, but we got a lot of Batman, I think, left to say. There will definitely be another episode. So if you wanted to hear more about Nolan and this Reeves trilogy and maybe Zack Snyder one day, uh, we'll see. I would stay tuned and keep coming back to stay the franchise. But before we wrap up here, it's our plugs hour. Joe, anything that you want to share or plug for yourself? I don't have anything personally to plug, but please check out Entertains Theater, support local improv, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for being here, Joe. Fred? I'm going to um, say what Joe said. Same thing. I don't really have any shows coming up, I don't think, in the near future. But if you go on there, you might see some shows I will be in in the extra future. All right. That's the interchangetheater.com. I'll plug our podcast here and say we are loving doing this. We love the fan support. We called out Belgium earlier. Nice shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for your listens. Ireland, we see you guys too. You guys are bringing the heat, listening in on our episodes. Everybody in San Francisco, San Diego, uh, up here in Milwaukee, down in Chicago, Maryland, Maryland. <laughs> you guys couldn't do this all without you. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you want to support us, I'm just going to throw this out there. You do not have to. It's buymeacoffee.com slash SOTF. All we're looking for is a couple bucks. You know, we're going to try and just put that right back into the show. Again, not something you have to do, but we are going to try and keep up in our game and bringing you quality content. And we hope you guys will contribute to that if you love what you're hearing. But otherwise, just your listens are all we're asking for here. And thank you so much for being a part of this. And we'll see you next time on State of the Franchise when we'll be talking about Star Trek, the next generation. I'm so excited. Yes, sir. (laughs) We will make it so. Thanks again, Joe, for being here. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace. Bye.